0: Now you may be very confused about what you just heard I was speaking in Thai And what I said was, today I'm going to talk about Thai food. Uh, I guess you can tell what's on my mind right now. But what you have just experienced is what the crowd gathered at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago expected to experience. But instead, as we go to Acts chapter 2, you take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. We read here in verse 1. We'll start with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, verse 5, we read, "...there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language." So they heard the, the individuals speak in their own language, whereas they, what they would have expected to hear would have been words they could not understand. But instead, it says they were all amazed amazed, and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Certainly not what they expected to hear when they heard these men stand up and speak. They expected not to be able to understand but they did understand and as they did they experienced God's holy spirit at work you see the wind and the fire that we read about here in the verses 2 and 3 the wind and the fire were certainly impressive but this miracle of the mind was no less amazing almost incomprehensibly so so and I guess I might say comprehensively so because uh, they they were able to comprehend what was said but this was exciting this was amazing for them this uh this action of the Holy Spirit by which they were able to understand now this is this is fascinating uh, but what about you and me you know most of us don't live lives where we have a lot of exciting things happen we um well most of us anyway i don't think. I, I don't know anyone in the church who's a, a NASCAR driver or a smoke jumper or uh, an astronaut or some uh, really exciting type of, of job, but um, yet we, just like these people, these people didn't have exciting lives. I We don't know about each of their lives, but I don't imagine they had necessarily exciting lives, but in a stunning way, they experience the Holy Spirit in a dramatic way anyway on that day. So, the question, the question for today then is Have you ever experienced God's Holy Spirit at work? I mean, today is a day that we focus on the blessing of God's Holy Spirit given to us as first fruits, and, and that's a wonderful blessing. But again, have you ever experienced God's Holy Spirit? at work. How would you know? How would I know? I mean, not just speaking in different languages, but how would we, How would you know that God's Holy Spirit is at work? So the title for the sermon today is The Working of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'd like to focus as I begin on just a couple or three examples that we see of God's Holy Spirit at work. So let's turn back to Exodus chapter 3. And and so the first thing we're going to do is is to focus on three examples of God's Holy Spirit at work and and try to identify what that means. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, this is the example of Moses at the burning bush and we read Verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So we see the first thing that happened as God began to work with him, and, and we see the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, God's power, at work here, we see that there was something unusual. There was a physical uh, manifestation, something unusual that he could see that he, that got his attention. So it says, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but it was not consumed. And then verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. First thing we see as we, we see this, the, the pattern laid here laid out here, is that there was a there was, a, as I said, a, a, something physical that got his attention. But we see a second step begin to emerge here, and that is the step of, of understanding. So we see that he began to understand what God was doing here, why God was appearing to him, and what God's purpose was. So the Lord said, verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, th- therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the second way that god 's holy Spirit was at work here was through understanding. we see that God was was speaking to him and giving him an understanding of what was going to happen now. You know the story here. I'm not going to read through the whole account, how Moses was resisting. Once he understood what God intended to do to send him back to Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt, we see that he resisted, and there's this dialogue back and forth. But ultimately, as we uh, we go forward, we see that he ultimately had the conviction to uh, to actually do what God was instructing him to do, and uh, we can see that then towards the end of uh, chapter four, where even though as I said he resisted, he we we see that he had the conviction because uh, as he understood and as God made it clear that this is what he was going to expect, he actually did the thing that God was asking him to do or commanding him to do. So we see verse eighteen. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father in law and said to him, "Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive." And Jethro said to Moses, "Go in peace and And then we go throughout the rest of this chapter where we see that that he, he actually um, he, he was given in the conviction to carry out this this plan that God had for him. Now I, I want to delineate the difference between this conviction that was inspired by God and it took it took some work on God's part but this was a different type of conviction from what we see 40 years earlier so if we go to acts chapter 7 let's go back to acts chapter 7 and I'll I'll show you what I mean acts chapter 7 and We read here about the first time that Moses had the the idea of of bringing his brethren out of Egypt. Acts chapter 7. And I'm not going to read the whole section here, but uh, jump down to verse 24 and 25 here. When we see he came of age, Uh, actually verse 23. When he was 40 years old, now it's talking about Moses and he's being described here. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So we see back at this time, he had conviction but his conviction was that he would be the one to lead his brethren out of slavery, but it wasn't to be, and, and he was humbled through these 40 years, but now God was inspiring a new conviction in him, a new conviction that was such that ultimately he would be willing to stand before Pharaoh of, of this powerful nation of Egypt and, uh, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He had the conviction in God and that God was going to, he, he, God had inspired him to take the action, even against his initial, uh, misgivings, that he inspired, God inspired Moses to be convicted in this, this plan to bring the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. So it was a different, it was a different type of conviction, not in himself, but in the power of God. Let's go to Judges chapter 6 and look at another example. Judges chapter 6. Here we read the account of Gideon. So we see here with Gideon as we begin the story in chapter 6 that the children of Israel were suffering under the Midianites. And in verse 11, we read how the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. There has to be a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. Here he was... Uh, uh, threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites, and he's called, you mighty man of, of valor. But we see here Gideon, verse 13, said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites." Now you can probably see where I'm going as you consider the story of, of Gideon, especially when he makes this comment, where basically saying in essence, where are all the miracles? Where are all the where are the physical signs that that God is working with us that we've heard about from our fathers? Because it certainly doesn't seem like it's happening now, and that God is with us now. And as you go down to the story, though, you know how. Uh, Gideon requested physical signs. We see verse, uh, 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah, of flour. and the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Then the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now verse 22, Gideon, you know, he was a little slow on the uptake, but he got the picture. We see, we see verse 22 that Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. And he built an altar there. Now, as the story goes on, we see that that... That gave uh, when he began to understand that okay this is God uh, he he saw the the physical signs uh, he understood that this was the, the true God and uh, and and he, he had a, a grasp of that then he had the conviction we see in verse twenty eight he had the conviction to take action. We see verse 28, when the men of the city rose early in the morning, there was the altar. Well, I should back up here and to verse, uh, let's go back to verse 25. And we see, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Verse 26 And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So he had, he understood what God was, what God wanted him to do, and he had the conviction to do it to a degree, but um, yet he still had fear about what might happen. So when the men of the city, verse 28, arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wood, wooden image that was beside it uh, was cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they say, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. And we see then that he was facing potentially facing their their wrath and and death. And you can see the dialogue that goes back and forth. Now, we come to chapter uh, 6 and verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he arose early the next morning and he squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So we see, again, there's a pattern where a physical action takes place first, where God works with him physically to uh, help him to come to understanding of the fact that um, god is this is God, and god 's working with him and as we see in chapter seven and i 'm not going to read through the whole chapter here, but that that uh, that God was going to in this case God was going to save the people of Israel by his hand and then the third step that we see in this in this process, the third uh um, component in in this process is that of conviction where he had the conviction to lead these men against the midianites so we see that a similar pattern of god working and we see it beginning with a physical action physical uh some type of a, a physical uh uh step that's taking place and then we see understanding which leads to conviction. Let's look in the New Testament, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, where we read about Paul and Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9. This familiar account of, of Saul who then was ultimately named Paul. We read verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, this was those who were followers of Christ were beginning to be called followers of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, that is, Saul or Paul, trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So we see this pattern continuing where there's a, a physical action, in this case another dramatic physical sign, which leads then to understanding. And you probably guessed it. We see as the story goes on, it's going to lead to that third component. Let's read a little bit more. We see verse, verse 7. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So we read, there was a certain disciple, verse 10, at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Then arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in the vision he has seen, verse 12, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call your name. But God said, Go, go. Uh, I will show him, verse 16, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So even there's this intimation of the, of understanding that's going to be given to Paul. So we, we see that reiterated. <clears throat> verse seven, 17, so Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. When he had received food, he was strengthened, and then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Now what happens here in verse 20? We see verse 20, so he he began to understand... And it, that led to the conviction in, in Saul or Paul now that he was willing to, verse 20, preach the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So here is a man who now certainly faced the criticism of those who were previously his peers and compatriots and, and fellows and, and even beyond that others who were certainly going to uh, attack him for following this way especially when he had been known as someone who persecuted this way. And yet he has the conviction to stand up and begin to preach the gospel. So what we see here is an example of God's Holy Spirit at work. And that's the point. That's why I've I've gone through these three examples, because I'd like to break it down a little bit and 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 apply it to ourselves as we go forward. But understand, if we want to understand how God's Holy Spirit works, we see a pattern here with people that God is using, where he uses physical. He uses, in this case, we see these three different examples of physical signs and and physical activity. And he brings understanding, but that's through his Holy Spirit. And and we saw that specifically here in verse 17 that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God's Holy Spirit is is at is work not just with the dramatic signs but also with understanding and with conviction, which which follows. In this case, so much so that Paul was willing to devote his life, lay down his life, for for uh, to serve God and to follow the directions he was given from God. But it, it, that happened after he was inspired through the Holy Spirit to have understanding. Understanding of, you, you might say, the real reality. He, well, the reality that he thought was reality was turned upside down. Now, he didn't realize that he was actually working against Christ. He was working against the God that he thought he was serving. You know, it, it's it's... It, it reminds us of how important understanding is because understanding is like a roadmap that helps us to get where we need to go. You know, if you have a roadmap and it's a roadmap to, for Kentucky and you give this to a person that, and you're going to give them, a help, try to uh, show them how to get to Charlotte, I mean, you can put Charlotte on that map, you can draw a little dot that says Charlotte, but they're not going to be able to use that map to get to Charlotte. Because it's not an accurate map. It's not an accurate map of the, of the landscape, of the nation. It won't be an accurate map of the highways. And, you know, before we're, we're called, before God begins to work with us, our map of reality is wrong. And so in this case, God showed, as he worked with Paul, he showed him a right roadmap. He gave him understanding. And with the wrong map, you know, you can drive faster. You know, you can work harder at it, but you're only going to be going in the wrong direction. And so many people have the wrong road map. So they they work hard. You know, they're trying to do their best. They may even be trying to benefit society in one way or another. They may be trying to worship God. How many people in this world put a lot of effort into worshiping God? They think they're worshiping God, yet their roadmap is wrong because God, through his Holy Spirit, has not given them understanding. He's not called them. So therefore, they can work harder. They can drive faster, you might say. But they're only going to be going faster in the wrong direction. So what we've been reading about is God's Holy Spirit at work. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 We see here again we read as we begin Acts chapter 2 we read about the physical things we read about the the divided tongues as a fire verse 3 and we see this mighty rushing wind in verse in verse 2 but we also see something that's that's physical but it's a matter of the use of words so it's really a matter you might say of the of the mind in this case and yet it's still god's holy spirit at work but but what happened next we can't just stop there what we see is in in verse 14 we see that as be, as peter began to speak they through god's holy spirit they began to have the right road map god's map you might say to reality they began to have understanding through God's Holy Spirit. We read verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions so he understood this was a pouring out of god's holy spirit he 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 saw this as the as the end of the end of the age and the and the return of christ and the end of this age and but and in, in that sense he was not accurate but he recognized the pouring out of the spirit and And identify that. So he says, men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So he recognize the prophetic fulfillment of these words. So then he says, verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now just imagine if you were standing there listening to what, what, what Peter was saying here, and it was beginning to dawn on you what you had been part of potentially because many of these uh likely had been standing there shouting crucify him and and so even if not they had 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 heard of it certainly because it was very much in their in their present and they're standing here beginning to understand what's going on and they're beginning to recognize that what he's saying is that they had been party to, or they at least certainly were in the, the presence of a situation where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had been crucified and resurrected. This understanding is begin, beginning to dawn on them, and then we see what happens next. He says, Therefore, verse 33, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured Out This which you now see and hear For David did not ascend into the heavens But he says himself The Lord said to my Lord Sit at my right hand Till I make your enemies your footstool Verse 36 The crux of the matter Therefore let all the house of Israel Know assuredly That God has made this Jesus Whom you crucified Both Lord and Christ Did they understand Well, verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So that understanding actually became conviction. This is God's Holy Spirit at work. Certainly dealing with physical. This is not God's Holy Spirit is not simply about uh, let's say philosophy or the or the mind or thinking it's about actually it's about the physical and doing the physical experience in the physical but it's also about understanding and it's also about that understanding turning and becoming conviction Turning to, being reflected by conviction. And this is what we see with them, because as they understood, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and be, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So there was, again, there was physical that had to happen. The act of baptism, repentance, giving, showing fruits. Of a different way of life, but that way of life was contingent upon understanding, and then conviction had to in- inspire and energize their actions. And so we see verse uh, again, verse thirty-eight: For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. To all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Which is the critical point, isn't it? Because if someone is not being called, then God is not going to be working with them in a physical way. God is not going to be giving them understanding. And God is not going to be convicting them, giving them the, the gift of belief and conviction. So some people, um, you know, you've probably read stories or accounts of people who, even especially at the time of Easter, will uh, some of these these people who are uh, they feel they're dedicated, so that they will literally go through a, a crucifixion-like process. Uh, they feel like they're doing the right thing, but yet they have no understanding and they don't have a conviction of the right. Roadmap, you might say, because God is not calling them. So that's not His Holy Spirit at work. Whereas, if God is calling us, then God's Holy Spirit will take us through these three components. That's, and, and the, I want to emphasize specifically, that's God's Holy Spirit at work. So we, we, we don't have to think necessarily, well, I have not been part of a a rushing mighty win, so how is God's Holy Spirit working with me? We're going to talk about these, these steps as they, or these components as they apply to us. But we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, negate or we shouldn't lessen the miracle of God's Holy Spirit working with us, giving us understanding and conviction. So let's proceed then forward. Let's proceed and and let's talk about the application of this. How does this apply to us? What does this mean? Well, let's start with the physical first then. Let's start with the physical. Uh, you may be someone who has had uh, as part of Of God's calling you had a dramatic uh, intervention of some, in some way. I've certainly known situations where that has happened, where individuals uh, had really miraculous events in their life that really stopped them in their tracks and got their attention. Um, Sometimes the uh, God working with individuals in terms of the physical, it's not quite so dramatic. It may be something like a, a challenge to read, let's say, the literature, the study guides, the booklets that we have. And so maybe somebody challenges a person and, and says, look, you ought to read this. And they literally will... Start reading. So in other words, it's a physical action of taking the booklets and and digging into the Bible and and the, the action of actually studying about the Sabbath. Maybe it's something physical like going to a TWP and then having a conversation where the physical, even the interaction with other people, become part of the process of God working with that individual. It may be something like taking up the challenge to keep the Sabbath. Um, I I know reading from Mr. Armstrong's autobiography how he talks about uh, his wife challenged him regarding the Sabbath and he had to study into it. And the Sabbath and the Holy Days, they began to keep these days. So there was a physical action that was happening and the understanding wasn't completely there. But the the physical action of going through the action of keeping the Holy Days, keeping the Sabbath, maybe it might be uh, calling for a visit. Where somebody uh, there's a there, there's a physical step that begins it where God inspires that individual to call for a visit, uh, call a minister for a visit, call a pastor, and he goes and talks with them, and that begins to uh, begins this this uh, this process of God working with the person. So it can come in different in different ways, but but there's a physical component, and. It might be dramatic, and it might not be. Sometimes very early in our calling, God, God inspires us with a dramatic miracle. And um, later on, we might go before God and ask to be healed of something, and we, and we realize that the answer is wait. Wait. Because God doesn't heal us as dramatically as at a point in time where where we need that in order to build our faith, in order to help us, like Gideon, help us to really be, to to really to understand, to pay attention to to God, so that we can then have that understanding and have that conviction. We saw certainly with Moses and and Gideon and, and Paul, this was the case. So... Sometimes God gets the attention with dramatic physical, uh, activity. Sometimes it's less dramatic. But, but we, but as, as God begins to work with us through His Holy Spirit, understanding is always a part of it. God gives us the gift of understanding, of a sound mind. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I say a sound mind, I mean a mind that understands God's plan, understands reality as it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we begin reading verse uh, 4. Let's begin in verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, Paul writes, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So don't get excited. Don't get caught up in philosophies of men. We we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in some of the popular um, uh, thought leaders in our, our society, Influencer, influences, influencers in our society who can be very appealing because they're very good with words. They're very good with, with philosophy. And it can be easy to do so, especially when they echo some, I'll say conservative or what might sound like a biblical principles woven into their speaking. But we have to be careful because if someone is not called of God, doesn't have God's plan of reality in their mind, can we be let off, off course? by some of what they say, but if we begin to absorb their their mentality and their way of thinking because there are some things that resonate with us, I, th- I think so. And so I think we, we need to be careful. And I won't name uh, some of our leading thought philosophers' names, but um, it doesn't take, doesn't take too much imagination to recognize some of the ones that are very popular today But we need to be careful. What Paul says is that our faith should not be in the wisdom of men. And mark my words, some of the ones who are thought leaders, even with conservative ideals, are it is the wisdom of men. It is not the wisdom of God. In fact, some of the things that they say show that they do not believe in God. They they do not uh, have any, there's no obedience to God, or they have not been humbled by God. But they are exercising the wisdom of men. And that is not new. You know, the wisdom of man goes back through the centuries. And if you read some of the ancient Greek uh, thought leaders and you, some of the ancient Roman thought leaders, you will find gems of, of practical advice that make sense in our world. Some of the Asian thought leaders also have some wise thoughts. Because some of what they say reflects, you might say through the back door, they've stumbled upon some of the principles of God. But make no mistake, what we're talking about is the wisdom of men. And Paul describes that. He says, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, verse 6 We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God's wisdom, God's understanding, that is revealed to those whom he calls, it is not the the same as the wisdom of man. It may... It may look like it, but at some point it diverges. Usually when it applies to an obedience to God in terms of his Sabbath, his holy days. Then when it comes to obedience, the, the, the wisdom of man usually says, no thanks, I don't want that. But we see here verse 8, "...which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. <clears throat> but God, verse 10, has revealed them to us through his spirit. So make no mistake, the working of God's Holy Spirit is it involves understanding just as much as it may the physical, dramatic physical signs or not so dramatic physical, they say, parts of the process. It is God's Holy Spirit that works in us to open our minds to understand the things that are real. The reality, the real reality. And so verse 10, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he, can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ through his Holy Spirit. When we read Psalm 51, for example, when we read Psalm 51, I just picked out a couple of psalms as, as references here. When we read Psalm 51, what we're reading here is understanding that that is, 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 is take is absorbing a way of thinking from God so that it's not simply a matter of pushing one bad thought out and pushing one bad thought out here and pushing one bad thought out there like like it's a whack-a-mole. Have you ever done the whack-a-mole? I remember taking my kids to some, I don't know, kids' play place at one point, and they had this whack-a-mole game. Actually, it was a lot of fun. And you have this little mallet, plastic mallet thing, and out of the little play area in front of you, the little moles pop up out of holes and you're supposed to whack them with a little plastic mallet and what happens at first they pop out out of this hole and that hole sounds very violent doesn't it but it's for kids and it's it's all plastic so but anyway you first you whack this one and then you whack that one and they start popping up slowly and they come pop up faster and faster and faster and you're you're pop you're trying to whack all these those moles And, uh, it's just a lot of fun. But that, you know, that's not what we're talking about. When God's Holy Spirit begins to work with us, it, it actually drives out the human way of thinking if we allow God's Spirit to work in us so that we're, we're actually reflecting a whole way of thinking that replaces and pushes all of that out if we allow God to do that and we, we actually humbly go before Him and ask for His Holy Spirit to help to, to take on His mind we're not just whacking a mole in our life. We're actually reflecting godly thoughts that even apply to situations that are new to us. And, and we see this mindset when we see the change in David to, to this mindset of wanting to completely take on the mind of God. He says, he says verse 1, "...have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And then he says in verse 10, this is our prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is what he asks, that that he would have the mind of God through his Holy Spirit that would fill his mind so that every situation that would come upon him, his actions would reflect a godly way of thinking, a godly way of approaching that. And that comes through understanding and then the next step through conviction. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 again. It can't be just one. It has to be God's Holy Spirit giving us the understanding of what to do and what to think, and what to say, but also the courage and the conviction to say it, to do it, to think it, and not think the things, or say the things, or do the things that we should not. Acts chapter 2, I just want to highlight what we saw before. Acts chapter 2, we see this conviction in verse 37 when it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That was conviction. And when they said, "Verse thirty-seven to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do?" It's it's not just what do we believe in. It's it's what we what we believe, what we are, we, we're, what we are, what we're willing to, to die for, what we are willing to to do and think, so that even. It, Criticism is brought upon us, or maybe others won't like it, or it'll be hard because it's not our natural reaction. So conviction of the, it's God working with our human spirit, which naturally has conviction in our own stuff. You know, we have conviction in terms of what we love, what we hate, what stirs us. When we begin to, as we're a young person, begins to love, as a man begins to love a woman, he's convicted that this young woman is for him. This young woman is his his lifetime companion. And likewise, for a young lady, when she begins to to see this man not as just someone who is a friend and acquaintance, but someone that she can give herself to, that she can look to as, as her leader, put herself in his hands. That takes conviction. And so conviction is something that we're familiar with through our own human life, isn't it? I say we have convictions about our children, that we are dedicated We adore them, and we love them, and we don't want anything wrong to happen to them. And we're convicted enough that we're willing to to stop them and warn them and even punish them or correct them for wrongdoing, not because we want to see them hurt, but because we want to see them prosper, because we have an understanding of what will bring that that, that success in life, And, and we have a conviction that we need to help them to have that successful life. So we we understand conviction in our own life but when we're talking about the things of god god through his holy spirit also stirs up that conviction in us and and you can see it in the church in many ways i mean i i just think about <clears throat> i think about the 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 way that our church functions the miles that people drive to be together to assemble together on the sabbath I mean, the typical church doesn't have people driving 30, 45 an hour, 30 or 45 minutes or an hour or two hours to get to services or three hours to get to services. That's not typical in our world of churchianity, but that's what our people do. That's what some of you do a conviction to be able to, to, to desire to be with your brethren, a desire to, to listen to the telecast, watch the telecast, to read the literature that comes and dig into it, to listen to the weekly announcements. What's happening in the work? What's happening on the other side of the world? Well, that takes conviction, a desire to know, to want to be part of the work and pray for those who are on the other side of the world, who are suffering or struggling or, or need encouragement but but conviction is a, is is something that is is part of really the way we function as a church, isn't it? And and it re- it's reflected in in why we're here, why we gather together, even for group activities or picnics or whatever it might be. We want to be with each with each other. When it comes to the feast of tabernacles, it's why people travel, why people save. Second tithe, the festival tithe, to come to the Feast of Tabernacles and to part- and to- and to be, uh, certainly with the Spring Holy Days as- as well. To make sure that we're, we're properly applying those uh, guidelines that God gives us, those laws of keeping the festival tithe, so that we can enjoy the feasts. Spring Holy Days and the Fall Holy day, uh, Days as well. <clears throat> it's why, it's why we tithe in general. The whole tithing system is a reflection of our conviction that this is the right way to to live. It's the right road map to live. But my point is, that doesn't come just through human wisdom. That comes through God's Holy Spirit giving us the understanding, giving us, in our life, in some fashion or form, giving us physical let's say uh, a physical part of that of that process to stir us up to act sometimes through events that happen that involve us but there's a, there's a, there is a hands-on physical part that god's spirit works with but that leads to understanding and that also leads then to conviction that's god's holy spirit at work and you know as we as we look around we can see examples of those who have been inspired and, and have been uh, filled with God's Holy Spirit, maybe not very dramatically in our eyes, but they have been filled with God's Holy Spirit through in these ways, understanding and conviction over decades. I think most every con- congregation has at least one individual, sometimes many more, who have, who have lived a life that reflects that God's Holy Spirit working in them. And we can appreciate that, and we should admire in a right, proper way, admire them for their example of a willingness to allow God to work in them and allow God to use his Holy Spirit to inspire and convict them and give them the understanding And we should look to them as examples. This the older generation who has been around um, and been really been part of the church for, as I said, sometimes decades. So, as we go back to Acts chapter two, we see that there is a natural a natural process. And there's a natural reaction. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, there's a result. Fruits that are born when God calls people, and he works with them, gives them understanding and conviction, works with them in physical ways. Verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, they believed, they were convicted, they understood, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And look at verse 42. Because we begin to see how, that if, if, if individuals, if God is working with individuals and building them into His church, then it's not only individuals who are strengthened by God's Holy Spirit, but it's the church as a whole. It's the congregations. It's the broader body of Christ. It says, Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So doctrine does count, and proper understanding of doctrine does count, and fellowship, fellowship counts. You know, God's Holy, Holy Spirit is what encourages us to fellowship with each other. If, if, we're, you know, if, if we're having a rough day, if we're having a rough week, and we may not feel like uh, fellowshipping with our brethren, but if we ask God to give us the strength, because it may be the day that we need to encourage somebody else at Sabbath services. And if we're not there, there maybe they won't be encouraged. But if we ask God to help us, strengthen us, to act, to, to actually to fellowship and to maintain faithful and true doctrine. But back to here, it says, In the breaking of bread and in prayers... Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. He says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as ever anyone had need. This is At this point, they really expected Christ's return in particular, and so that's why it appears that they had this enthusiasm, but let's not... Let's not negate the fact that this was God's spirit working, even though they didn't understand the timetable. He says, So they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we see the church grow. The church was strengthened at this point. in in this stage of this uh, beginning of the New Testament church. And it began, we see, on the day of Pentecost. It began on the day that we observe today. So as we observe this day of Pentecost, let's consider the working of God's Holy Spirit. And I've given you these three components to think on and Think about how they have been part of how God worked with individuals in the Bible and how he works with you and me. There's certainly a lot more to learn about God's Holy Spirit. And um, if you look up on our church website, you can see other aspects of God's Holy Spirit. I was looking specifically about an article by Mr. Charles Knowlton about exercising the Spirit. And so there is a lot more to learn specifically about the exercise of, exercise of God's Holy Spirit. But I hope this will will stick in your mind and encourage you that God's Holy Spirit it works in us in a variety of ways, even including our understanding and, and our uh, strengthening our conviction. So... Consider on this day of Pentecost the pattern of what we see here in Acts chapter 2 and how it impacted them and how it inspired these people as the New Testament church began. And as the days go forward, we can see that the momentum that was built so these people that we read about in the book of Acts could be able to spread the gospel, could be able to teach others, could be able to learn about God's way of life and establish the New Testament church so that it could be then continued down to the ages to our time. It provides a legacy for us of others who have been inspired by God, who have been led by his Holy Spirit, who God has worked with through his Holy Spirit. And it provides a legacy. It provides a template for us. It provides an inspiration, a reminder for us of how God's Holy Spirit is at work, not just at that time, but it's also at work through, through us today if we will submit ourselves to him. And we do that in part by keeping this day of Pentecost as we focus specifically on the lessons from this day.